This afternoon, we'll be looking at a portion of the Apostles' Creed, and if this is your first time following on, uh, on live stream and you may not be familiar with it, we'll be reading a section out of one of our confessions, which is called the Heidelberg Catechism. And the Heidelberg Catechism at this point, in the, the first section of the Heidelberg Catechism, is dealing section by section with the Apostles' Creed, and we'll be looking at the parts of the Apostles' Creed that deal with the work of the Holy Spirit and God's holy Catholic Christian Church and the communion of saints, closing off with the forgiveness of sins. And so in connection with that, we'll be reading those questions and answers shortly, but in connection with that, we will be first reading from God's Word, Ephesians chapter 2, and we will be reading verses 11 to 18 and then focusing a little bit more in depth on the verses 19 to 22. Ephesians 2, verse 11 and following. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hand, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, Therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So far, the word of God. We'll now read together from our confessions as well. The Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 21. What do you believe concerning the holy Catholic Christian Church? I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his spirit and word in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, all and everyone, as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, 
that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into condemnation. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, today is a day of prayer for the Federation of the Canadian Reformed Churches. And as we join together in this, we really have a sense of what's talked about in our Belgic Confession, another one of our Confessions, Article 27, where it says, Moreover, this holy church is not confined or limited to one particular place or to certain persons, but is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world. Yet it is joined and united with heart and will in one and the same spirit by the power of faith. We're joined together with brothers and sisters all across our country and all across our world, sharing this same faith and confessing this same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what we're doing today in this day of prayer and every Sunday as we gather together is a very vivid picture of what we've seen coming out in verses of our passage here in Ephesians chapter 2. The man who wrote this letter was the Apostle Paul. And he was writing this to a church in Ephesus, which is a church that's in modern-day Turkey. Beginning in verse 11, I want you to pay careful attention here for a moment. Because here in verse 11, he starts to describe the church that he's writing to. He says, Therefore remember that you... Once Gentiles in the flesh. He's talking to a Gentile audience. This would have been most of the church in Ephesus at this time. And he's talking to them about being Gentiles. Oh, what's a Gentile? A Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. They're the ones who are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. So they are people who are not members of the Jewish nation. They are people who have not been circumcised, who have not been shown uh, through this sign that they belong to this Old Testament people of God. A Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew. And that includes not just them, but you and me as well. Now in Old Testament days, the nation of the Jews, Israel, was God's chosen people. Those described as Gentiles in our passage today were not included with the promises and the benefits and the covenant that God had given to this chosen nation at that time. However, although that was true, and although they were without Christ, aliens, which is not to say aliens in the way that we think of them today, but foreigners, people who are not citizens of your country, non-citizens who, were, who had no hope 
And being without God in the world, now in Jesus Christ, those who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God's blessing has gone out to all the nations through Jesus Christ. We have been brought near to Christ. And in being brought near to Christ, we have been brought near to each other as fellow believers as well. This is what the Apostle Paul is teaching us here in these verses. This is what the article of our Belgian Confession also confessed when it talked about being joined together with the heart and with the will. We are united in faith in this same Savior. But how is it possible for Jews and for Gentiles, for for people who are considered not to be part of the people of God, not to be joined in with the blessings, for people who were so distant to be brought together when there was always historically such a great divide between them? What is it about God's work with such different backgrounds and experiences that he's still yet able and does bring us together in this same way. Today I proclaim to you the word of God under this theme. It is the spirit who binds you together as the communion of saints. And we'll see first of all in the work of the spirit, the dividing wall of hostility is removed. In the second place, being fitted together by the spirit. And in the third place, being built together as a dwelling place for God. In the opening words of the passage that we're looking at, verse 19 here, we read, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. In the past, God had always created a very uh, sharp division, a stark distinction between his people and the nations who were around. They were to be a people who were set apart. There was a time when even God-fears, which is to say Gentiles that had committed themselves to follow the laws of God, were held at a distance. The temple grounds were a vivid picture of this. The Old Testament people of God had in Jerusalem the place in which they all came together from the surrounding countryside to gather together for special feast days, and this was the temple. The temple was made up of the uh, sanctuary itself. You had the place where the priests worked with the Holy of Holies and with the holy place. And this is where they offered the sacrifices of incense. This is where the priests themselves went back and forth in their day-to-day intercessions between the people of God and God himself. And then outside of that, you had the different courts for the people of of God. And then outside of that, you had what was called the court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles themselves were not allowed to enter any closer. They were not allowed to draw near. They were considered strangers and foreigners. There was a little wall that separated. If you look in in the archaeological record, you can see there was a little wall that separated those outer courts from the inner courts. And there were warnings engraved into the entrances that separated these outer courts from the inner courts that said no uncircumcised person could enter any further without incurring 
the death penalty. God was making a statement by setting up his sanctuary, his place of worship in this way. And if you consider how strong the language is, then you can see that there's more than just describing the differences between believers when it says you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. When you see these languages, the, the same language being used in verses 14 to 18, when it speaks about there being enmity and about there being a dividing wall of hostility that is being removed. The dividing wall of hostility is more than just division in the church. Some people historically have tied this into Christ breaking down barriers of racism, of of slavery, of, of differences between men and women. And it's been used to promote good changes and some bad. Political movements and some religious ones. All in the name of the dividing wall of hostility being taken down. But that's actually not what's being talked about in this passage. In fact, that's thinking too small. There's something bigger going on. The picture was a symbolic one. It was a constant reminder that all mankind had fallen into sin. It was the constant reminder that mankind needed to draw near to God. That God himself had reached out and he had laid claim to a people for himself out of all of the nations. All the more attention was brought to this in that God had chosen one nation to begin with to draw near to him. Now that's not to say that Gentiles weren't saved. We read in the Old Testament not just about Gentile women like Ruth and Rahab who were folded into the people of God, but we also read about people like Melchizedek, the high priest, who lived around the same time as Abraham, who was a worshiper of God. But even so, out of his grace of All the nations of the world, God had chosen one nation with whom he would have a special relationship. And he created a symbol for them to look to, that they needed to draw near to him and that they had a special relationship with him. They enjoyed a special promise of being tied to God in this relationship which is called a covenant. But, Paul is reminding us, with Jesus Christ having come into the world, all this has changed. With Jesus Christ having come, having suffered on the cross, he has broadened the scope of who is now called his people. This isn't a replacement of the people of God, but it's a continuation and an expansion of the promise that was given to them so long ago through their forefather, Abraham. Now, the nations around are no longer cut off from God with this low wall from approaching the inner courts of God. That dividing wall of hostility is gone. 
So what does that mean for us? Well, we today fall into that same category of Gentiles. But the good news is this. When we look to Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ himself has become our peace. Verse 14. He himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down that middle wall of separation, that dividing wall of hostility. Which is to say, those both, the Gentiles and the Jews, those who were traditionally outside of the covenant people of God and those who are within, through Jesus Christ, Christ has become our peace and we are folded in to the people of God. You and I can come before God without fear of death. That dividing wall that said no uncircumcised may come past this point, that symbolic wall is broken down. And we can come before God without fear of death on equal terms with all God's people. Verse 17, those who were far off and to those who were near, all because of the work of Christ. We have been reconciled together to God through the cross. In a time of insecurity, that is where we as Christians find our security. It as is confessed in the very first question of our Heidelberg Catechism that our only comfort in life and death is that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. In life and in death. It doesn't matter that the virus is growing in numbers right now. As believers, we find security in having our identity in Jesus Christ, in belonging to him, and we find security in that the Holy Spirit has now been given to us as a result of Christ's work, and we can see his work beginning in our lives. And that brings us into verse 18. Through him, Through Christ, we now have access by one Spirit to the Father. But what happens next? We are aware of the Holy Spirit's presence and we are aware of the comfort that the Holy Spirit brings. But how does he work in us as we react to that comfort? This is where the rubber hits the road. As many of us saw last Sunday afternoon, if we were there, it becomes practical here. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't just live in those who believe in Jesus Christ, and he doesn't just give them access to the Father, but he also changes them. He'll shape and he'll form you. He will sanctify you. This is what he promises. So what does his work look like? This brings us to our second point, being fitted together by the Spirit. Before we dive into this, however, here's a quick question for you. Where in the Apostles' Creed do you find this teaching on the Holy Spirit? There are three basic divisions to the Apostles' Creed, and our catechism has already dealt with two of them. The first of those three basic divisions is working uh, under the heading of God the Father and our creation, the work that he does to govern and to uphold this world. The second is about the person and work 
of God the Son, most especially in his work of salvation, redeeming us, dying for us, being raised up, and what all of that means for us. And the third part of our catechism deals with the person and work of God the Holy Spirit, most especially his work of sanctification. So what is sanctification? To sanctify is the day-by-day change that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. In Christ, those who believe are justified. This is a one-time event. It means that they are legally declared righteous before the throne of God for Christ's sake. But he doesn't just leave us there to figure it out from ourselves beyond that point. Day by day, he sanctifies us, makes us holy, transforms us, changing us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. So what do we find immediately following the description of the person of the Holy Spirit here in our Heidelberg Catechism? We find our eyes being directed in the Apostles' Creed and in our Heidelberg Catechism to the Christian church and the communion of saints. And we can see that not just in those places, but we can also see it in our passage here in Ephesians. And it only makes sense, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit works in us to transform us through the means of grace, through the preaching of the gospel, and through the sacraments. But how are we to see the effects of this work? The Holy Spirit gives us first and foremost a body that we are a part of. He joins us together as a church, as the body of Christ. Last week, you may remember, if you were here, how we touched down on 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. And if you're not here, this is what it says. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have received from God? It describes your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, here in Ephesians 2, we see how the Holy Spirit expands on what he teaches us through this letter of the Apostle Paul. Not only are we temples as human beings, not only has the Holy Spirit taken up living in believers as individuals, but he brings all of us together as part of a greater temple. Ephesians 2, verse 20 to 21 Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Being fitted together. Did you catch that? In his sanctifying work, the Holy Spirit is like a stonemason. He brings us together as a community. He chips off our edges, shaping us and forming us to be laid in line in relation to Christ who is the cornerstone, off of whom the whole rest of the building is formed and shaped. And then we are fitted together, shaped and formed, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. 
We are living stones, shaped and formed to live in relation to each other. Now that chipping and that forming is not always easy. And when we're laid next to someone else, there can be times when all we feel is their rough edges, or maybe even it's our own rough edges, and we are mistaking them for their rough edges. And there can be times when we don't see the work of the master mason who is laying us together in line. We don't see how he is shaping and forming us to live in relation to Christ Jesus in this new life into which he has brought brought us, having broken down that dividing wall of hostility between his people and now bringing them together. We don't always understand how, as our Lord's Day describes it, the Son of God out of the whole human race from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his spirit and word in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. We don't always understand how this is a process that is happening from the beginning of the world to its end, that it's not something that is done, that it's not something that's finished right now. We want a perfect temple. We want a temple that has everything beautifully lined up. But we don't realize, we don't realize that if that was the case and it was a perfectly finished temple and we tried to fit ourselves in, we ourselves would not even fit. We don't realize we want a perfect temple one whose founder and builder is God. And we don't realize that that's exactly what he's building here on earth as he is gathering together and defending his church here. He is preserving his church, yes, by fighting off the devil and the world, but also shaping us by his spirit and word and forming us to more and more live together in harmony with our fellow believers. This is significant. Why? It means that the struggles that we can sometimes have with our other brothers and sisters, the impatience and the shortcomings that we see, shouldn't be a reason for us to avoid worship. When we have the opportunity to gather via live stream as opposed to to gather together in person, This should not be a reason so much for for joy and for relief. But rather, it should be a reason to recognize the Spirit's work. To recognize that we are all unfinished. That we are all being shaped and molded day by day. When you live in close relation with someone else, you are also the one who sees most clearly their flaws. You are the one who are the most affected by the worst parts of their nature because what's small to someone who is far away is magnified when you are close by. You who are married or you who live with your siblings at home can probably see this the most clearly. 
But we can rejoice in this when we see those rough parts of each other. And when, even when it can be a, a trial to, to get up and to come and gather together. Because we can recognize that God is not first and foremost putting us together for happiness. But he's putting us together for holiness. He is sanctifying us using our brothers and sisters as well as he shapes and forms us to expose to us our needs and our weaknesses and to come alongside of us in our times of need. And when we acknowledge and accept that and begin to take part in that work as brothers and sisters coming alongside each other and encouraging each other by the means that the Spirit uses, His Word and His sacraments, we can begin to see this great work more beautifully and more clearly. We can see how Christ, who has bought us with His blood, as we saw in the first part, who has folded us into His people, how he is lining us up, chipping and forming us with his eye running down the wall to see us in relation to himself, the cornerstone. We can see more and more our own place in all of it as we are shaped and formed. And so we can more and more confess that as our Lord's Day says, I am and forever shall remain a living member of Christ's church. Not because I trust in my own work so much, but because I trust in Christ. In Christ, who has bought his church with his blood and who is gathering it together from the beginning of the world to its end. He is gathering it together. He is shaping me and forming me and chipping me and building me into his temple that is his church Fitting me together, verse 21, with these other saints as he does so. And he does this by the work of his Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings us together. He has turned us into, verse 19, fellow citizens with the saints. And he will preserve this church, which he has gathered and defended from the foundation of the world by his spirit. And here's the most incredible part of it. He doesn't just bring us together and he doesn't just bind us together and build us up piece by piece, but there's a purpose to it. He builds us together to be a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Verse 22. And this is our third point. We're built together as a dwelling place of God. Why is this so incredible? Well, consider this. You and me, we don't always look at ourselves as such great catches, do we? Christ is the cornerstone, we can say. Christ is the cornerstone. Yes, I get that. The apostles and the prophets, verse 20, well, they were great men. They had their flaws too, sure, but there in the Bible, that's got to count for something. God had a special interest in them, but, but me? Yes, you. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've confessed him as Lord, you belong here together with the apostles and the prophets who, by the way, are in the Bible as flawed people 
to remind us that that's exactly who God uses and who God calls to himself. But if you have confessed Christ and he is your Lord, not just as in I like to be associated with with him and the people that he hangs out with, but as in recognizing the first part, the first portion of this section of the letter to the Ephesians, that he has bought me with his blood. He is Lord and he has authority to speak into every area of my life, that I belong to him body and soul, and this is my greatest comfort. Then you do belong here. You too are built on that cornerstone who is Christ. And you, not on your own merits, but on Christ's, are slid into place as a living stone alongside the prophets and the apostles and your own flawed but precious in the sight of God, just like you, brothers and sisters. Built, verse 22, as the dwelling place of God. It doesn't matter that you don't feel like you measure up so much. That's why we need Christ's work. That's why we need Christ as our cornerstone. That's why we need that sanctifying work of the Spirit, chipping us and measuring us. But your feelings don't measure you. You are laid down as living stones in relation to Christ, the cornerstone. Your feelings don't measure you. Christ does. And this is what the answer, question and answer 56 reminds us of, which points us to that part of the Apostles' Creed that deals with the forgiveness of sins. I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle with all my life. Consider how real that is for a second. Which I have to struggle with all my life. He'll no more remember that but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into condemnation. It's true. We have our sins and our sinful nature against which we have to struggle all our life. It's true. You and I aren't great catches of our own accord. But in Christ, in Christ you belong. And you have a purpose. And that's the significance, the final significance in verse 20, that you're built as a dwelling place of God. You see, we're not just here to be served. Our brothers and sisters all around us, they're not here to wait on us. Even if we need more help than any of us, that's not why we're here, being shaped and formed and fitted together by the Spirit. Christ has placed us together with a purpose. We are fitted together to serve each other, not to benefit from each other. Benefiting from each other is secondary, but we are here to serve each other. And that we can see in our Heidelberg Catechism as well. It brings us this to our attention that we have communion of Christ with, with Christ and we share in his treasures and gifts, but in the second place that we are duty-bound to use our gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. But even that is not the final purpose. 
That is given to us with another end goal in mind. We are here to serve each other so that as the dwelling place of God, verse 22, we can fulfill our chief and highest calling to bring glory to him. And this brings us a full circle. The Holy Spirit joins us together through faith as living stones shaping and chipping away at us so that we line up with the perfect cornerstone who is Christ. So that our lives more and more by his grace line up in relation to who he is. And so that we can fulfill the purpose of a temple to bring glory to God. But how are we to do this in Owentown now? How can we be a hand and a foot to each other? How can we together grow closer and, and live to the, the glory of God, being united more and more in the Spirit? How can we do any of this if we are all watching via live stream and we are all separate all across Gray County? How can we be a hand and foot in a time when there's so much uncertainty and we can't meet together in one church building, these emotional and spiritual struggles don't go away, do they? Well, there's a few things that we can keep in mind. And the very first is this. God has allowed society to advance in a very unique way. And the very technologies that have allowed for the rapid spread of a virus like the one we are experiencing right now also allows us to stay in contact and in fellowship with each other more than ever before. Do you maybe feel lonely or isolated? Take some time to call or to video chat, to reach out to one, two, or five other people, brothers and sisters and others today, to speak with them and encourage them, family, neighbors, friends. Do you know of elderly neighbors who are closed in? They quite possibly feel very lonely and frightened. Remember them as fellow stones who belong in this temple alongside of you. Or if they don't believe, remember them as those whom you desire to have as living stones alongside of you for eternity and pray for their souls as you reach out to them as well. Strive out of love to make sure that those around you have what they need in a time of crisis, to serve where you can, using your gifts readily and cheerfully to the benefit and well-being of the other members. Galatians 6, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. But above all, in this time when we feel each other's absence greatly. When we must meet in smaller numbers than ever before. Recognize and give thanks to God for this body of believers that you're a part of. Even when you see your own sin and brokenness clashing with their sin and brokenness, giving thanks for what that means. That God brings together imperfect people, sanctifying them by 
the work of God the Holy Spirit. Give thanks that God has removed the dividing wall of hostility between us and him through Jesus Christ. Give thanks for the temple building work of the Spirit, not only where that wall is removed, but also as we are being built together as a people of God. And give thanks and pray for your brothers and sisters who are being fitted and shaped alongside of you, eagerly looking forward to the day when we can meet together again, and eagerly looking forward when we can, united once again, serve that purpose in person as a temple being raised up and united together, being a place in which we can live and work together in harmony for the glory of God. Amen.